Good morning, church. Once again, my name is Dave Peterson. I'm the pastor of Biblical Counseling. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Uh, last week, uh, for those that were here, Pastor Sean started this, this new series on connecting, talking about how we are connected to God. How do we connect vertically? And this morning, I'm going to take some time, for example, the next 34 minutes and 33 seconds exactly, and talk about how that vertical connection is played out in the horizontal connections in our lives, into our relationships. How we connect to God reflects on how we connect with our families. Biblical counseling is is nothing more than really examining these connections and seeing how and what this person believes about God How does it play out in their connections with other people, what they believe about themselves, what they believe about the circumstances of their life? What we see, what we believe, what we think, what we do reflects what we would call our practical theology. Dallas Willard, who defines practical theology as what we believe and what we know about God, the manner in which our actions interact with God to accomplish his will. And then he, and he goes on and says that everyone, and it doesn't matter if this is your first time here at Coastal or you were saved 70 years ago, like Pastor Cliff. <laughs> what you believe and think about God drives your life. Dallas Willard would go on to say that what we believe in God grips and guides our life with just a great as force, as does a thoughtful and informed one. This understanding of God determines how we respond to everything. And biblical counseling is nothing more than connecting, correcting, and strengthening our beliefs about God based on his foundational truths and then how that plays out in our everyday life. Living out a providential, all-powerful, all-loving God, what we believe about him. And today, we're going to take a look at the life of Noah. And we're going to see how Noah's practical theology changed the way he responded to the world around him. And and we're going to see how our theology, our practical worldview of God, affects the way not only that we connect to God, but to our family, connecting to our family. And we're going to take a moment and say, listen, not everybody here has the same family circumstances, do we? There are some who have parents, some who don't. Some who have a spouse, some who don't. Some who have children, and some who don't. But we all have intimate horizontal connections with what has become our God-preordained family. You want to know what your definition of family is? Who's in your ark with you? Who is it that, that is protecting you? that you gather in to separate yourself from the chaos that's in the world, those that that you desire to love and those who love you. And and we're going to see that understanding family goes deeper than flesh, doesn't it? In in church, 
You'll hear us using family, a family or familial language, brothers and sisters. And these relationships, all relationships for the Christian ought be treated the same. So if turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews 11. And while, while you're turning, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the, in the seat in front of you. Please take that and bring it home with you. Bibles don't come out of biblical counseling budget. We want you to have that Bible. Take it home with you. But if you'll turn with me, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so as we look at Noah's practical theology this morning, there's going to be four things that we want to pull out of it. The first and foremost is that Noah, letter, or number one, begins with the divine walk. Now, my theological understanding of Noah started at an early age. When, when my brothers and sisters and I would gather around the family record prayer, and we listened to comedian Bill Cosby and give his Noah routine. And, and those who've heard it understand that Bill Cosby's Noah was sarcastic. He was flippant. He wasn't reverent, right? With his, he'd be whoop, uh, whoop, right? And they'd be like, what, why, really, right? And, and if we sit there and read, we understand that Bill Cosby's Noah looks more like Dave Peterson than he does the Noah of the Bible. Because in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, we read that this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. He walked faithfully with God. And let's take a look and see what was happening in Noah's time. Because sometimes Christians can say, it's hard to walk in the world today. That we have, things are like they've never been before. And, and we need to understand that just as difficult as it is to walk today, let's, let's see how was it. Genesis 6.11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all of the people had become corrupted in their ways. Every heart on earth, with the exception of Noah, rebelled against God and did what was right in their own eyes. Every single heart. Now, you can look around you today and say, listen, we've got a little bit better than Noah, don't we? This is our ark, right? And last night while it was raining, this was our ark. And we knew that we'd come into a mostly dry church. Because we have people around us that love us. We have people around us that care for us, people who want to desire and reflect God. But listen, friends, it's just as difficult. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul warns Timothy, and this is a warning that we as a church can take to heart today. Understand this. In the last days, there will be times of difficulty for people will become what? Lovers of self, 
Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul tells Timothy, avoid such people. Friends, we must walk counter to a culture that surrounds us. Much like Noah, we need to be careful who we let in our ark. We need, we need to be careful of who's influencing us. We must avoid those that would keep us outside the ark when the rains start to come. Noah walked, as our passage will tell us, by faith. Now let's talk about faith for a minute. What is faith? Well, we can go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The, the word faith here, pistis, really means to trust, to have confidence in, assurance. And we see that Noah placed his faith in God, which means that Noah placed his trust in God. And he was convinced of things that he could not see. A coming judgment. He was convinced that a flood was coming. And guess what? His faith propelled him into action. It compelled him into action. Church, do we walk with that faith today? Do we trust what God says is true? That we walk by faith, not by sight. That, that we walk by the things that God tells us, not that our heart tells us, not that the world tells us, not that we think what we see. Proverbs, one of my favorite Proverbs, chapter three, uh, Proverbs five, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Have faith in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Meaning, recognize him as the pronouncer of good and not good. Trust in him and not ourselves. In all our ways, acknowledge him. What does it say? He will make straight our paths. When we have faith, he will make straight our paths. He doesn't say that he'll make them gentle. He doesn't say that, he, that he'll make them trouble-free. In fact, he promises us kind of the exact opposite, doesn't he? But he says he will make them straight. And the, you know what's good about straight paths? Is you can get through narrow passageways. We can come to him. When we walk by faith and by trust, what we're saying is that we trust God in all things and that we will refrain from the things that go against his will in our own lives. And this is where our connection to our families first begins to reflect our connection with God. What are the things that captivate our hearts? What are the things that captivate our desires? You see, Noah's faith convicted him of something he could not see. He, he, he was convinced by letter B. It says, being warned, being warned, he knew that a flood was coming and it compelled him into action. Genesis 6 
Verse 13, Genesis 6, verse 13. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence and because of them, I am surely going to destroy them. Do we, friends, have the faith that God's warnings are true? Do we have this trust? Do we have this assurance that what God says is true? Do you have that faith? Do we believe that Jesus is coming back again? Do we believe that Jesus is coming back again? If this is my first time here, I'm not sure what they believe. Friends, do we believe that Jesus is coming back again? Do we believe that at that time, judgment is coming? That the sheep and the goats are going to be separated and the sheep are going to receive a reward and the goats are going to receive an eternal punishment? Is this something that we believe? Then we have to let it affect our actions. And we have to try to see that the sheep herd is larger than the goat herd. We, we, it compels us to judge our own hearts, to change our day-to-day. As a Christian, I'm just talking to the believers right now. If you're not a believer, keep coming back on Sundays. But if you are a believer, I'm going to challenge you get beyond the Sunday churchy casualness of Christianity and respond as if you truly believe that Jesus is coming back. Respond as if you really believe that there's going to be an eternal judgment and that we want to please our God. You see, when we are warned, we, letter C, respond in reverent fear. That's that fear of the Almighty God. Something that Pastor Sean shared with us a few weeks ago. I apologize to the 8 o'clock service. I'll apologize to you. I didn't look it up when he said it. But something he said, it really sticks with me. He says that, that and we kind of, we sing about it this morning, right? That in the Revelation song, they're not crying out kindness, kindness, kindness. They're not crying out, my friend, my friend, my friend. They're not even crying out love, 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 mercy. What are they crying out? Holy, holy, holy. And that kind of holiness evokes a reverent fear. And our faith in the holiness of God, much like Noah, when we have this, it propels us into action. We seek to live lives that provide a pleasing fragrance to the Lord. We seek to live lives that pronounce His holiness, His love, His mercy to everyone who sees us. How are we doing with that? Good? Right. How do we walk in the world? And, and it's this worldview that gives us the practical riverbeds and the guidelines and how all of our horizontal responses to relationships, our, our circumstances, become changed based on that vertical relationship with the Almighty God. How do we walk in the world? Jesus warns us in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 20, uh, chapter 24, verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And then they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And so will be the coming of man. Friends, if we believe that God is coming back, and if we believe it can be any time, it's going to change 
the way that we respond in the world. Are we going to respond like the world, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, TikToking, Netflixing, that tomahawk foolishness for those unsanctified Braves fans? The ringing of the bell for the less sanctified, but nicer, Phillies fans. Right? No, we, we live our lives with that constant reminder, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. And it prompts us to respond. How do we walk in the world? How do we walk with our family? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Did I just describe Thanksgiving or Easter at your house? As Christians, that's how we respond. That's how we should walk as we show the fruit of the Spirit. And some of you are saying, but Dave, I can't do that. Well, guess what? Neither can I, except, except in Ezekiel chapter 36, there's this promise. God says, I will cleanse you. I will remove your heart of of stone. I'll remove your dead heart. He says, I'll give you a new living heart. And I will pour my spirit into you. And he will cause you to walk according to my ordinances. He will cause you, friends, this is a promise. He will cause you to walk, not like the world, but in a way that glorifies me. So I ask you, do we walk with the Spirit? Studying, focusing on, concentrating on the words of God? Or do we walk by the flesh, by the world, with anger, bitterness, drunkenness, dissension? Now I'm starting, oh, yeah, that sounds a little familiar, right, for Thanksgiving? Dissensions, factions, anger, drunkenness for the non-Baptists, right? These are the ways that we respond, and we have to take care in our hearts that we respond according to the Spirit, not in the ways of the flesh, Because if we walk like the world does, in Ephesians 4, darkened in our understanding, if we walk as the world does, like in 2 Timothy, scratching, finding people who are going to scratch our ears, meaning say the things that we want, make changes to the gospel that make it palatable to society, if we do these things, we're going to be walking by the flesh, and we ought not be surprised when anger, dissension, bitterness and unforgiveness fill our lives, both towards us and from us. Is your goal this morning, friends, is your goal to gratify yourself or to glorify God? Because if it's to glorify God, we do so in the understandings with the trust that the things that he says is true. If we want to live a life that glorifies God, we have to, number two, Make sure that it's built according to the divine blueprint. God has given us distinct blueprints on how to construct all of our relationships. He's he's told us how, right? Letter A, Noah constructed an ark. I spent the better part of my adult life on ships. I was in the Navy. And here's two things about our ships that I know that we had. We had power, and we had a way to steer it. Think about Noah for a moment. He builds the ark. There was no way to propel it. 
And, and, and there was no way to steer it. God just says, get in this thing, and I'm going to fill it full of animals. Let's put it in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, maybe a context some of us can understand. He says, go out in your family minivan, fill it full of those animals, and just sit there and trust me. No power of propulsion and no way to steer. God's blueprint for the family, for the horizontal relationships is built on his will, on his truths, not according to some family dynamics, middle child syndromes. He gives us distinctives, not the way that the world says, husbands. What does he say in Ephesians 5, chapter 2? Or I'm sorry, chapter 22. Most husbands have this verse memorized. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit everything to their husbands. But husbands, he says, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church, he gave himself for the church. How much giving are you doing? He says, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word. He bathes her with scripture. He doesn't scour her with hot water and correction. He bathes her to present her sanctified. How are we doing, gentlemen? It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I like to call that their little, the wives, you got an escape clause. Submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. As is fitting. That reminder, I'm not submitting to him, to him as the Lord in a way that glorifies God. And if he's not glorifying God, we've got to get that right. Husbands, I love 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Have any, do any of you live in an understanding way with your wives? If so, I could use some advice. In understanding ways, not short, not temperamental, not demanding, not controlling, but in understanding. And he says, honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. He's telling us how we ought to be responding to her as if she's the weaker vessel. He doesn't call her the weaker vessel. He says we respond as if she is, with gentleness, with love with understanding, because they are heirs with you. Children, we get some blueprints for the children. How many children here have heard Exodus 20, verse 12? Right, we all know that one. What is it? Honor your mother and your father, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Children, Proverbs chapter 1, the very first chapter of Proverbs, children, this is what he says. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teachings, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Think about that, children. We honor God, we, we honor our parents. When we honor our parents, we're honoring God and we're receiving these, the, these things that he'll bring to us. But parents... There's also some verses for you. Ephesians 
chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not in the ways of being a man, but in the ways of the Lord. We discipline them. We instruct them. Not provoking them to anger. And verse 21, Colossians 3, verse 21, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. We are to be encouragers. We are to nurture them in a way that reflects honor and glory to God. And and we've been given these, these blueprints for families. We've been given blueprints on how we should be talking to every single relationship in our life. Ephesians chapter 4, the way we talk. Anyone who spent time with me, I know you guys have heard this one. Let no corrupting or destructive talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. As fits the occasion, and it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Put it away, and instead, be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. How much forgiveness do we need? And and when you look at all of the one another's in the scripture, and I've got nine minutes and 35 seconds to get through them. Here we go. The very first one, this command, 16 times at least, love one another. It starts with loving one another. And here it goes, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded towards one another, accept one another, admonish one another, greet one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth in love with each other, be kind and compassionate to one another, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hostility to each other. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefits of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. It doesn't say point theirs out. Confess your faults to one another. This is God's blueprint for our most intimate relationships. This is the framework within the body and within the family. This is how we treat those that are in the ark with us. Being preserved and protected from the current culture and protection from the the coming judgment. This is only possible. This is only possible because, number three, we've been braced by a divine yoke. What do I mean by being braced? It means that's where our strength comes from. In Ezekiel chapter 14, we see that Noah did it for the saving of his household. Letter A, number three, for the saving of his household. Ezekiel chapter 14 opens, right, starting in verse 12, God starts giving these pronouncements of judgment. He says, If a country sins against me by being unfaithful, I'll cut off its food supply and send famine. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, and that's a pretty good group of guys, wouldn't you say? Noah, Daniel, and Job, even if they weren't in it, they couldn't save it by their own righteousness. 
They could not save it by their own righteousness. Why? Why couldn't they save it? Because, friends, there's only one name in which salvation can be found. Acts chapter 2. Peter says, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says that stuff that was in Ezekiel 36 will come true when you confess and you believe. And and he will cleanse you. He'll remove your heart of flesh. He'll give you a heart of, of spirits. And he'll pour his spirit into you. You will receive this outpouring. Because, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You will be saved. Hebrews 10, 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, all time single sacrifice for sins, we began to see that, that Jesus is the only way that salvation occurs. God saved one man, Noah, as he poured his wrath on the world. And then God saved the world when he poured his wrath on one man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we have to respond in trust that that one sacrifice was sufficient for all sins, even the sins of our family. We struggle sometimes. I want it to be Jesus' death on the cross plus a nice gift. I want it Jesus' death on the cross and an apology. I want Jesus' death on the cross plus something else before I in my heart will forgive someone. That's not the forgiveness of Jesus. Anytime we try to add to the cross, what we're saying is Jesus' death was insufficient. And when we are two believers, confessing our faults, responding in repentance, responding in belief, friends, we're called to forgive as we've been forgiven. Parents, your faith cannot save your children. Wives, your faith cannot save your husband. Husbands, your actions cannot save yourself. You're controlling your children's actions, cannot save them. Salvation is only made possible through Jesus Christ. And this is uh, number four. This is based on a divine promise. Divine promise. First, we see that Noah condemned the world. He separated himself from it. He did not call what they were doing is good. In James, James will say that friendship, mere friendship with the world is hostility towards God. You know, we've been given these 10 commandments to help separate us, and then God continues to reflect on our hearts and on our loves on how we should be responding. And and Jesus says, you're in the world, but not of the world. We have to condemn the trappings of the world, and instead, we rejoice in letter B, I'm sorry, uh, letter C, right? No, letter B, becoming an heir of righteousness. Thank you. Becoming an heir of righteousness. Friends, as children of God, we have received an inheritance. 
And we have to respond in our lives with trust. If I can trust on God's provision for me in the future, it's going to affect the way that I interact with my family. It's going to affect the way that I connect with them because now I am not responsible for the way that they respond. I'm responsible for my response. And I seek to bring them along in a way that they find love to receive that inheritance that never falters. And that's how we get to the very end here in D, that comes by faith. It comes by faith. We have to understand that it's our faith, our trust in God saves us. Not, and, and let's be clear, this Christian, it's not the Christian's faith that saves them, is it? It's the one that they have faith in that does. Do you have faith in Jesus or do you place your faith in someone else? Do you, do you put, put your faith in your children walking right? Do you put your faith in the way that your husband responds? Do you put your faith in what the, the doctors tell you? Do you put your faith in what, what the news tells you? Do we, what do you put your faith in? Some people say, I'd rather go by my own self. And we know that all of those fall short. We have to walk according to our faith. And that begins with Jesus and the gospel. I, I want to make that clear that when we talk about this idea of walking in faith, we need to understand that when we, while we condemn the world, we're not condemning to others. Peter says that we should live our lives reflecting the glory of God and being prepared to give a, a good response with gentleness and respect when people ask us for the joy that's in us. And it comes back to the power of the gospel. Friends, if you do not know Jesus Christ, let me tell you, Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He bodily died and was resurrected. And that through that death, his blood paid for our sins. And you have an opportunity, not only to get the flood insurance, but to live your life daily within an abundance of, of grace and mercy from a providential God who loves and cares for you. And as, as the worship team comes up, I, I want to remind us also that, that if you are a saved Christian, the gospel didn't stop when you came climbed out of the baptistry. Paul begins every single one of his letters to Christians with the gospel, with the gospel, because it's the gospel that gives us the power to overcome. It's the gospel that gives us the, the motivation and the trust in the gospel. It's what gives us the power. I love Paul says, listen, friends, I don't want you to be uninformed. I was so overcome by my circumstances in Corinthians, Paul tells us, that I was despaired of life itself. That, that I was ready to die until he realized this was so God could show his strength. And when he claims the power of God, he comes back to the gospel and he says, it's God who raises the dead. So as the worship team comes up and our prayer leaders come forward, I want to remind you all that we have that power, the power of the gospel, whether you are first coming to the Lord or you've been with them for 70 years like Pastor Cliff. I'm sorry, 75. And so please come forward with our, our prayer partners. Pray with me now.
pray with me as we close? Eternal and gracious, loving God, we lift your name above all other names. We praise you. Heavenly Father, those who do not yet know Jesus, I ask that they pray with me today. Oh God, I am a sinner, unable to save myself. I repent of my sinful ways. I believe that Jesus, your son, died and rose through his death. I've received the forgiveness of my sins. That through his death, I was restored in relationship to you. And through the power of the resurrection, I trust you have the power to do what you say you can do. I desperately want Jesus in my heart as my Savior. Heavenly Father, if, if, if I've been walking with you for a while and it has, begun, it has begun to become dry, I ask for your waters to give me that life again. Let me feel the Spirit that I felt once before. I know He has not deserted me. But perhaps I have walked in a way different from which He would have me go. That I've walked according to my own understanding instead of His. If, if this be Heavenly Father, please, the power of the gospel remains true that Jesus Christ rose and is returning. And I, and I rededicate myself to connecting in worship, to growing in your word in community and, and, and seeking a heart, that's, uh, a heart that seeks to serve others and not myself. Let this be my prayer, almighty God. Almighty God, I pray for Coastal and our families across uh, Hampton Roads that this week, Heavenly Father, we have provided opportunities to bless other people, to reflect your love, your mercy, your grace, and your kindness. All the while, never forgetting that they need to know of the coming judgment. Give us ways to share this with love and respect and gentleness. We ask all these things in the name of, of of the Lamb that was perfectly sinless, And through his blood we are saved. The lamb, your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.